Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're, You're listening, listening to, to Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to Mumbrella Cast. I'm Josie Tutty and joining me today is Abigail Dawson who covers our advertising and comms beat. Hi Joyce. Also with me is our senior media reporter Zoe Samios. Hello. And our news editor Paul Warbank. Hi Jesse. Plus, our guest this week is Accenture's Michael Buckley, who will be joining Tim and Abby to discuss bridging the creative and consultancy divide. Uh, so the two came together very seamlessly. The marketing strategies of the future. It's only possible through blockchain technology. Retaining trust in a programmatic world. Yeah, well, we definitely don't. Uh, we're not here to arbitrage media. That's a key differentiator. So to the week's topics. Carl Sanderlands makes a bid to be the next Judge Judy. 120 jobs lost as News Corp and Fairfax enter shared printing press agreement. SBS CEO and Managing Director Michael Abid steps down. And we review some bad ads. So this week, Carl Sanderlands announced he would be returning to our television screens in a Judge Judy-style show called, you guessed it, Trial by Kyle. As far as I understand it, people will come in with their arguments and Kyle will attempt to solve it. Anyway, this is how he described it live on air on Wednesday. It's called Trial by Kyle. Okay, good. Like the Now, man. people will come in with their stupid arguments, neighbourhood disputes. Maybe some girl got a tit job and she wants to sue her doctor because it's a botched job. Oh, okay. Um, you would know. you be seeing her boobies on it? Or would oh, I don't not? think I'll ask her to take her boobs okay, out. Okay, fair enough. And you never know. Who knows? Zoe, um, Kyle has had a rocky relationship with Channel 10, who will be broadcasting the show. Do you think they've gotten over their bad blood? I'm not quite sure. I did some digging around and uh, Beverly McGarvey, who's the chief content officer at 10, was around in 2006. So she's been around forever and I'm assuming she was somewhat involved in in the firing of Kyle back then, which was to do with an incident um, on Today FM. Uh, he was basically fired after a lie detector segment on Today FM, um, which went badly wrong, and a, and a 14-year-old girl um, was revealed as a rape victim live on air. So it was pretty horrific at the time. Um, there was a ruling, which you can look at online, um, and, and after that, that was sort of the end of Kyle's relationship with 10. He later went on to Channel 7. He did a number of TV shows. Uh, he was a judge on, uh, I think, Australia's Got Talent. He also did his own TV show, which was Night with the Stars, which wasn't so successful. But I think if we're talking about whether or not they've gotten over bad blood, maybe it's just been enough time now that he's ready to go back on air. And, and to be honest, I think this show could could possibly work more so than anything else that he's done previously before. Now, Kyle and Jackie are the top radio show in Australia, essentially across most markets. Is that right? Yeah. Um, why does he seem to do so much better on radio than on TV? Does he simply have a face for radio? Potentially, yeah. I mean, he's one of the most successful across markets in that he is a Sydney Breakfast radio show host, but he's got the one of the highest shares, definitely on the FM bandwidth, so not including Alan Jones. Uh you know, in Australia, he's always been really successful in that. I don't know if it's potentially that it's a radio thing. I think he's just found a loyal following through radio. He's been around forever. There's people that love to hate him, love to be shocked by him. It's always worked for him. And that bounce off with with Jackie O'Henderson, his co-host, has, has always worked really well on radio. They've got great chemistry there. So I'm not sure if it's, you know, specific to radio. It's just he's been in radio for the longest period of time. 
I don't know if, you know, a 7.30 p.m. audience always resonated with his controversial remarks. I think the radio people, the people that listen to him on radio, you know, they sign up for it. They know what they're going to get. I think there's a lot of people that don't listen to him. They're not in Sydney that probably were like, wow, that's a lot. I think, too, there's uh, that difference in format, too, the difference in medium, that radio is very, very different to television. We've seen this over the years that radio stars haven't done very well in moving across. Uh, you mentioned Alan Jones just before, and there's John Laws, too, back in the hay- his heyday in the 1980s or 90s. He struggled with that move. And, of course, we had that magnificent uh, flaming out of Doug Mulray in the 1980s where Kerry Packer pulled him off air during a show uh, because he was just so offended by it. So we have had this in the past where radio stars just haven't had that star power go across to um, television. But it, in this case, I mean, it's one episode and we, we didn't get confirmation from 10, but they are launching a pilot week, so we can only assume that it's part of that. But Kyle likes being centre of attention and Kyle likes to be quite judgy. He said it himself. This is very different to a singing or dancing show. If there was something that would work for Kyle on television, I think this could be it. Is he the really the best person to be giving advice to Australia? Potentially not, but I don't think people care. I think people, as I said, love to hate him and he's going to cause controversy no matter what. So even if his advice is wrong or people disagree with it, I think people will watch in sort of a a fury or an anger or frustration at him and that could work i'll certainly be interested to look at the ratings so next fairfax media and news corp have announced that they'll be sharing printing presses in a bid to save costs zoe am i right in saying up to 120 staff members both permanent and casuals will be affected by this that's our understanding yep so uh, we're not sure whether or not they'll be redeployed obviously as is the case with most Redundancies at Fairfax, they they do attempt to move people into roles within the business where they can. I believe they did the same when the joint venture ended with HuffPost. But it could be up to 120 staff members, which which is quite a significant amount, probably not their biggest set of uh, potential redundancies, but, but sizable um, nonetheless. And the agreement will also see the closure of two print press sites. Uh, News Corp's been unaffected by this. It's worth noting that. So... They've made it very clear that no staff will be affected in theirs. Um, the agreement is that Fairfax will use News Corp sites uh, and will shut uh, two of theirs. And Fairfax uh, Media CEO and Managing Director Greg Highwood said the new arrangements would result uh, in a full-year benefit of approximately $15 million, which for Fairfax Media is sizable. Uh, they've been looking to cut costs for a number of time, and this is a way to do it that doesn't involve affecting the quality of the content that they're producing. And do you think the history between News Corp and Fairfax is going to get in the way here? Is there going to be issues with these massive companies working together? Not necessarily. I mean, it's a it's a commercial arrangement and it works in the UK with uh, different papers, you know, using the same print services. I think this isn't a case of them sharing stories or anything like that. This is literally just using the same printing services. To be honest... I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner. I know that um, Greg Highwood had flagged it for a couple of years and he had definitely talked about, you know, how they could save money there. And and it is a a way to do it without, you know, sacrificing the content, as I said before. So this this story did quite well on our site and there's been quite a lot of comments on it um quite a few suggesting this could be a sign of the beginning of the end for print in australia is this a bit over the top i think so 
I definitely don't think it's the end of print as we know it. If anything, this is a bid to, to sustain print for as long as possible. You know, I, I, I remember at the end of last year, The Guardian in the UK relaunched with a, a tabloid, tabloid format for their print publication. So The Guardian in Australia obviously is only digital. The Guardian in the UK actually has a print edition. They had reduced that and outsourced printing to Trinity Mirror instead of compromising the quality of their content. So I don't think this is a case of this is the end of print. This is a case of we'd like it to survive as long as possible and we are looking to save money where we can. Uh, the AFR's media and marketing editor, Max Mason, did a follow-up with Greg Highwood, um, his boss, or his very big boss, um, who said it. he saw a very long future for seven-day-a-week printing and he pointed out that news and Fairfax, when they're competing, it's really around content and advertising. It's not about the physical production and distribution of these papers. It's not about that. So I don't think we're going to see some sort of mad consolidation of the newspapers or anything like that. I think this is genuine attempt to save the, the wider industry. It's good to see the two major publishers working together on this. And it's interesting too, we've got a comment on that story from somebody claiming to be a former Fairfax production executive who says that this was being kicked around six or seven years ago. And again, seven years ago, we had 1900 redundancies when Fairfax uh, uh, shut down its Chalora and Tullamarine print works, which had been built a decade earlier at a massive amount of money. So, so yeah, we have been here before on this, but it seems to be a steady decline, a steady fading away of the medium rather than the catastrophic end of days. So this week, SBS CEO and Managing Director Michael Abid announced he was stepping down after seven and a half years at the helm. Paul, your thoughts on this one? Well, it was it was a shot out of the blue. Uh, we didn't really expect it, and uh, it was announced. And uh, it comes at a time of a whole range of reshuffles in a lot of media companies around um, Australia. And SBS said it will commence the search for a Bede's replacement immediately. Have we got any thoughts on contenders for his replacement? It's hard to say. I mean, there's obviously what SBS is looking for is, and and to to Michael's credit, he was a very well-liked CEO. The employees really warmed to him and he had a lot of responsibilities. He's obviously quite involved with the government as well. So it will be a hard role to replace. I'm not sure whether they do something internally like bringing um, their new um, head of content, John Sintras, up the ranks. That's a possibility. I'm not quite sure whether John would be interested in that or whether SBS is even looking at that. I think when you're looking at potential candidates, you always look at the loopholes in market, the gaps. We talked about domain for a really long time and all of a sudden Jason Pellegrino, Google's managing director, is over as the new CEO of domain. One of the obvious ones that's in market at the moment is obviously the the resignation of MCN's CEO, uh, Anthony Fitzgerald, which was announced yesterday. I'm not sure if Anthony would be up for a job like that. I I know that he has a passion for TV, but it might not be the right fit for him. the other op- the other option is that they poach someone from another company, which looks like something that they might have to do given there's not a lot of people around. But I would say that the most interesting thing is where Michael is probably going to next. Michael obviously said he'd be announcing his new role in a few weeks, and I think it's fair to say that he was really waiting out for the end of the World Cup to to announce his departure. I don't feel like he just all of a sudden was like, hurrah, <laughs> I'm out. I think that was that was sort of a waiting game. And there is a slot open at Google. And the timing on that, on his departure from SBS, is 
really exquisite as well because the World Cup has been a triumph for SBS and then the streaming strategy that he's been running with Handmaid's Tale and various other things. Uh, that has been a pretty pretty good success rate there. So he, he goes out very much on a high there. And obviously he introduced Viceland during his time. Um, he, he has had quite a string of successes despite the fact that SBS still isn't one of the bigger players in when you look at the TV ratings, they're never one of the bigger players. But I definitely feel like there's been sort of a, a string of wins for SBS. And I don't think they ever want to be the biggest as well. They've got a quota to obviously meet uh, a diversity quota, and I think they do a really good job of that. They definitely have a role in the in the broadcasting space, but I, I wouldn't say that they'd ever. I think what. Uh, you know, Michael's done is is really build out what they're doing without trying to, you know, be the best, be number one or anything like that. And he's done a really good job. And and, and I haven't heard anyone say a bad word about him. He's really well liked with internally and externally. And wherever he goes next, uh, I'm sure that, you know, everyone will be happy to have a very, very uh, warming and, and welcoming boss. Well, we'll be keeping an eye out. Okay, so now it's time for a new segment that I have just invented called Bad Ads um, because we have two contenders this week and I just wanted to get them both out there. Um, first is a Schwarzkopf campaign. Um, the ad features TV host Carissa Wolford recalling life's key milestones, including getting drunk, falling in love, attending funerals and suffering through relationship breakdowns. And at the end, she realizes that all of her memories are hair related. Um, sadly, since this is an audio podcast, we won't be able to bring you the visuals. But here's a short clip to give you an idea of what we're talking my first about. memory was my hair. Come to think of it, all my memories are hair related. When mum was my whole world. When I first fought back. You're the Westie! When I hoped I was doing it right. When I found out I wasn't much of a drinker. I'll take you home. When I gave in to love. So, Abby, what's wrong with this one? Where do I start? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm calling it. I'm, I'm calling it the worst ad um, of the year. Um, there's, bold claim. It's a bold claim, but after having watched it um, many, many times, it. It does just get worse and worse each time. Um, I think to start with, I think probably where they went wrong is letting the brand and the influencer create this campaign. Um, so there wasn't an agency used. Um, it, it was Schwarzkopf. I too have trouble um, pronouncing that brand. Um, Schwarzkopf and, and the influencer Carissa Walford, who's a, who's a TV host on Channel V, the music channel. And I think that was probably the first mistake. Um, I think the second mistake, which one of our Twitter followers pointed out, uh, when the ad aired, he said that it, it looks like it's glorifying suicide. I think the issue I have, I have with that in this ad is the fact that it's this this girl standing on the edge of a cliff, a very high cliff, mm. very high cliff, um, reflecting on the highs and lows of her life, um, to which at the end I will note she does willingly fall backwards off the cliff, but but she does fall off this cliff reflecting on all these things that have happened in her life. She does appear to be alive. She does. Once she lands in the water in her beautiful dress, but um, it is still a bit icky. I think they've Googled the uh, ad standards mm. rulings there um, because 
in ad standings, they would say if she wasn't seen swimming away, uh, probably would be banned. But in this case, I probably think that it may not be um, because she is seen swimming away um, after she falls quite a distance onto her back in the water. We'll keep an eye out for the ad standards board's rulings on that one. It is interesting, though, looking at it, you really get a feel that it's a film school project, um, something that AFTAR's, um, an AFTAR student would be doing or something like that. It's that real feel about it. I mean, again, I, I do think it is quite obvious that, that, that there wasn't an ad agency involved in this. You look at the longer version of the video, so, so the video um, is initially a one-minute version and, and you look at the longer one, which was five minutes, and... I'm going to be quite honest here and say it adds absolutely no value for an extra four minutes of content. It's just like they just, that's the unedited version and here's the edited version. It's just every scene is longer. Um, I really am slamming this ads, but. But <laughs> but to your point, Abs, you know, when a brand's going to learn, you, you think about the Pepsi ad from what was it last year or the year before, and it was just so off the mark. And you'd think that you know, when people make mistakes, I think there was another one over in Asia. There was an ad that was bad, maybe for Dove. I'm not a hundred. I think it was Dove. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It yeah, was. it was. Um, and again, just, just missing the mark consistently. You'd think that you'd look at these examples and make sure not to offend or, or com completely be almost tone deaf, but they, they, it just keeps happening time and time again. And finally, there's a bit of a weird one this week. Um, we, Got a new McDonald's ad which featured a dad driving around and around a McDonald's drive through in a bid to keep his baby asleep. Why can I have a strong skin, mother? Hello? Sir? Strong skin latte, please. Sorry, could you repeat that, please? Cute, right? We thought so until a commenter shared a link to this U.S. McDonald's ad made by TBWA in 2010. I said an egg McMuffin and a large cup of coffee. Can you just say that one more time, please? McDonald's have since admitted that they did ask DDB to remake the old ad. But is trotting out old ideas ever good marketing practice? Look, I think, you know, to, to start with, DDB and McDonald's remained relatively quiet on, on what had transpired and, and our commenters definitely did fill in the gaps of, you know, DDB have, have ripped off TBWA and, you know, this is just a copy, blah, rah, rah, rah. Um, I actually went to McDonald's earlier today and, and to DDB um, and McDonald's have just come through with this statement now uh, from Joe Feeney, McDonald's's. Australia Director of Marketing and, and she said McDonald's is a global business so of course we share great content between markets this is a great piece of work that perfectly met the brief for this campaign so I mean it would appear that McDonald's have asked DDB to repurpose um, an, an old ad from overseas but I mean is that the right approach for McDonald's to be taking I'm not totally sure. I think it's better than uh, what happened last year with Menulog when you had a case of, you know, they recruited Jeff Goldblum for their first ad. It was uh, YNR Sydney was appointed to the creative account and all of a sudden you've got uh, this, people started to talk about this 2015 ad for Kyrie's PC World, which was done by Abbott Mead Vickers BBDO. And that's another agency and another piece of work for a completely different brand. It's exactly the same thing. But I just think consumers don't don't know these things. A, a lot of consumers don't know know the ins and outs of how ad agencies work and, and what they, they do and don't repurpose. So I, 
I think as a consumer, I mean, you think that a brand's getting lazy and and just copying work from overseas. I think there needs to be some some form of or, or some way of letting consumers know that this is a deliberate remake of an eight year old ad. The question with that, though, is do consumers know? Uh, Do they care whether it's an eight-year-old US ad that's been repurposed? My favourite example of that is the kangaroos, meat pies and holding cars ad, which everyone of a certain age in Australia considers a uh, legendary Australian ad, when in actual fact it was a knockoff of a South African radio ad by by General Motors in the 1960s. So, yeah, consumers, I don't think, really care about that as long as they like the message. There's a cute... Uh, advert of a dad driving his baby around the block. Um, how nice is that? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not convinced. <laughs> if consumers don't care, maybe this uh, for you, Abs. If consumers don't care, what about you know the advertising agencies and the creators involved? Is it poor taste to do something like that? But I mean, I don't think they have a say a lot of the time. If your client's telling you that this is the ad that they want you to do, are you going to stand there and say no? Of course not. You're going to do what what your client's telling you to do and what they want. I mean, I guess all. DDB can do or any other agency can do is sort of put their own flavour on it and and put their own spin on it to make it different enough. Okay, I think that's all we've got time for today, but thanks, guys, for joining me. I'll let you get back to the news desk. Thanks, Thanks, Josie. So joining us this week on the Mumbrella cast, we have Michael Buckley, Managing Director for Accenture Interactive in Australian and New Zealand. Michael has a career spanning 18 plus years in the advertising and media industry and currently manages three business units in Accenture Digital, including Accenture Interactive, Fjord and The Monkeys. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Thank you, Abigail. Thanks, Tim. So it's been about, I think just over a year since Accenture Interactive acquired the monkeys. Is the culture different now as to when you acquired them? The monkeys culture, no. I would say uh, the monkeys culture is the same as it was. I'd say the monkeys culture, um, which was a nice thing to have, which is was very similar to Accenture Interactive's existing culture. Uh, so the two came together very seamlessly. And uh, what's nice is that we've seen... Uh, an increase in resumes uh, from people wanting to join the business and, you know, you've seen some sort of key creative hires, if you like, that uh, have come since the acquisition. So, yeah. And was it hard merging those two cultures together? I mean, two sort of quite different businesses. Was it, was it, did you have to make an active effort to do that? No, not culturally. Yeah, very, very similar. Uh, you know, like the the businesses of Reactive and Fjord uh, have been around a long time and, we all share that uh, creative culture spirit, so no, not at all. I suppose on that point, uh, that, that that's something I found myself sort of thinking about sort of going early in your career. I mean, you, you had to make the decision yourself going yeah. from a digital agency to a consultancy. Yeah. And there's certainly a, a perception that consultancies are you know, a bit more conservative, you know, the sort of clients are even more C-suite, et cetera. So yeah. what was the thought process for you before you made the, the the leap across and then when you did yeah was it was it as you expected uh for me it was what Accenture brought to the table was the fact that it just had this incredible back end of technology and my frustration at the time was I was delivering creative services and and product design where I came from but didn't have the true technology background and it and it now is there in spades and the irony is that when you speak to Mark and Justin and Scott from the Monkeys, 
the reason they have a very similar reason for joining uh, Accenture Interactive is because the two combined just bring such a powerful force. So, yeah, that's why I joined. And how long was that going on for, that these conversations with the monkeys going on for behind the scenes before it was announced? Uh, I don't know exactly, um, but I don't know, like, I don't know, a few months, let's say. And what kind of interests me about the process, and this is something I've seen the monkeys talk about publicly in one or two spots, was how different the sort of conversation with the organisation was with so much around of, of the focus around culture, staff retention, including how the monkey, you know, the, the, the founders are incentivised to stick around, around that metric. Yeah. Do you think the way that the consultancy world thinks about culture is different to if an agency was acquired by, say, another holding company? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I think the the reason that the monkeys wanted to join was we had this collective vision, right, and the vision is how does brand promise and customer experience come together? So we we live off this piece of research that says 80% of clients think that they drive a great customer experience, but the reality is that 8% of customers actually agree with that. And so give us those stats again. 80% uh, of clients think they deliver a great customer experience for their customers, but in reality 8% of customers agree with that. Wow. And so... The brand promise, if you like, comes from the idea that the monkeys create for our clients and Fjord is uh, also a business that creates, you know, the end state and re- rethinks about end products and services. And then the experience, right, is is the sort of core part of Accenture Interactive, which has been always the, the content platforms and the commerce business. And so what we're trying to do is unify brand promise and customer experience together. And And when you explain that to a client, they can see that, okay, I can actually see what you're trying to do from a business value to our end customer. And and what we hope we're doing is actually bridging that gap. And do you have clients that both Accenture Interactive and the Monkeys work on collaborative, collaboratively together? Yes. Uh, we've, uh, when, we acquired the comp- uh, when we acquired the Monkeys, we had great synergy clients already uh, and we continue to do so. We're lucky enough that we're just one team, one culture, and uh, we're able to do that for clients and clients love that, yeah. And how does that work in practice? You know, when I think about it, when you work on a client together, yeah. is it the monkeys take the lead on the creative stuff and then Accenture Interactive takes the lead sort of on the on the management business side of things or is it more collaborative than that? Uh, the What we sort of have is sort of three doors to enter in. Um, one thing I do note is that, it's impossible to boil the ocean, right? We, we can't all go in there at the same time. And so the three doors are brand and communications. The second door is product and service design. And the third door is uh, marketing operations and the platform uh, delivery business. And when you break it down that to achieve that vision, a client can say, hey, I need one area more than another door. And, and so it simply says, hey, you may have come from the monkeys and are you now interested in marketing services or marketing operations or are you interested in uh, fixing your products? And so uh, it's a very simple way for us to define that to the client. Tom, uh, this sort of alludes back to a conversation we had on Mumbrellacast a few weeks back when we had uh, Adam Ferrier from Thinkabell on the podcast and um, who they have as a sort of minority investor, PwC. 
and the 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 question I was putting to him, which I'll put to you now as well, was it it kind of came from talking to the I, I was chatting. I was over in Singapore. And was chatting to an uh, a CEO from one of the holding companies, mm-hmm. sort of you know with some APAC responsibilities. His theory was that the consultancies are treating Australia like a little bit of a petri dish, where they're putting their f- the dipping their toes into the water of the media and marketing world um, a little more rig- vigorously than perhaps is happening in other parts of the world. Right. And that Australia, a lot of these experiments are happening earlier than they are in other parts of the world. I, do you, do, do you recognise that view? Do you, do you feel like you're a little bit ahead of the rest of the world? From an Accenture point of view? Uh, I, I would say no. Because um, of Kamarama. Yeah, I mean, Rothko just won three Khan Awards. The- and how about your competitive set? What do you mean by that? Sorry, they, 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 they appear to be a little bit later to the game if you're talking about, you know, what, what, what's going on with the, the Deloitte's or the PWC's. You know, their, their interest in this world seems to have come a couple of years later. Um, I just think that, you know, like even, even with sort of like the launch of programmatic services, right, that we've just done, the, the, what we needed was a – or what clients loved about us originally was that we had this technology background, Um we don't have we don't come from another service, right? And so, the the technology core has allowed creative services to add to that so much more seamlessly. Um, and I think that's been a massive advantage as we've launched new products and services, where you can see like. And the reason that we buy these businesses, right, is what are the synergy deals? What are the synergy clients that come from buying those businesses? You've sold your business to him recently, and. Ultimately, it's what is the synergy that drives as a collective. And, and what's great about the businesses that we have acquired, like the monkeys, is how does that work with the other services that we, we have and, and does that connect? And I think our heritage and our technology background has um, been a massive advantage to us. Now, I'm glad you mentioned programmatic because that, that clearly is one of those interesting spaces. And I, I, I'm not sure if you'd see it as a hygiene factor a little bit more, but it feels like one of the things that clients want to tick around programmatic yeah. is certainty around transparency yeah is that a point of difference for your offering do you think yeah well we definitely don't uh we're not here to arbitrage media that's a key differentiator we're also here to think about clients data and where that sits and a lot of clients are thinking about moving that data in-house so that's a a second differentiator and then the the third piece right is that whole does the brand promise and the customer experience as we join those things together, is programmatic a service that enhances the experience? And the answer is yes. Um, and so within transparency, right, we, we look at sort of three things and the three core things are like, what are the staff that you need to have true transparency? And you need a combination of data and technology. That in itself creates a difference. Uh, the second thing is the technology itself, having an incredible technology background and understanding all the technology, technology is getting better and better, so the transparency is accelerating. But the third thing I think is most interesting about uh, the transparency is, is blockchain technology. So when you when you think about what blockchain can do, it will actually deliver the ultimate transparent uh, programmatic media. And to be to be clear, we're not talking about cryptocurrency here. What we're talking about <laughs> is the fact that uh, with blockchain, you have the opportunity to have a permanent record exactly. of every stage of the process so if you're a media owner then you know 
exactly where chunks of your revenue came from along the way if you're displaying that advertising and if you're a brand you'll know exactly where your money was spent and if there was arbitrage in the process you know what happened there you know and there's a clear record of it um and a very historical record that um can ultimately be proven so and how far are we from actually that being a practical part of the ecosystem yeah i mean i we have a great example in the States at the moment, which is for AIA insurance. And what it, what they've done is they've said, if your flight is two hours late and, and the minute it is two hours late, we will pay you your flight out on that minute. Right? So, so you just got to think about how is that possible, right? And, the, and it's only possible through blockchain technology because it had to be able to measure the weather and the flight and, yes, it was delayed and then have the record of, you know, the customer and then say, hey, here's the bank account and pay it out within literally a second. And the only technology that can physically do that that quickly is blockchain. And when it comes to the digital advertising chain, yeah, do you need the whole industry to step together to move across to blockchain or can it, can it happen within portions of the industry? Uh, I think it's both. I, I think I would love the whole industry to embrace it. Um, it is going to be such a, you know, like it, the, the the fact that it's going to make programmatic transparent. That's a great thing for everybody. And how long do you think it will be before the very first ad is bought digitally in Australia using blockchain? Uh, I, I, I'm sure it is probably all, like it's already happened. Uh, we're using more and more blockchain technologies. If we're using, we're using it to measure it already. It means that we're we're there and thereabouts to buy it as well. And do you uh, maybe almost the last question around programmatic? Do you think is is this issue around transparency around sort of the retreat from arbitrage? Is this now becoming a hygiene factor? Are we through the worst? You know, we had the Wild West and now we're through <laughs> it, and things are calming down. Or your 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 expression suggests that no, we're not through the worst. Uh, I think um, you know when I when I talk to CMOs. There, you know, it comes down to those things like, do I have a hybrid model? Do I have half in house, half out house? Do I, but, but when you get down to it, it's like, do I understand where my data sits? And that, that has been sort of the single answer to, or sort of answer everything else behind it. If you then sort of think about how much, what role then does content play? Because ultimately all forms of media will become programmatic. If, I think the current stat, according to eMarketer, is that 73% of all media is now programmatic. Uh, so we don't have far to go before outdoor will join, you know, and then TV ultimately. So uh, we're close. And so, yeah, I, we're heading in the right direction. Um, but the good news is, is that, as you say, the wild, wild west is on the table. And speaking in practical terms with your in-house media agency, will this act as or or can the monkeys use this media agency to go up to a pitch and sort of say we have a real full-service offering? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're one team. It's, you know, like we have have these brands because there's equity in the brands, right? But we we are one team as Accenture Interactive. Yeah, and and I think um, do they – Sub into that offering if they want. Yes, absolutely. And are you there yet with with your media buying? Has has that happened yet? Yeah. So we offer it globally already. We offer it locally. We have uh, local clients. We have 
the, the communications and media industry and financial services industry has sort of like been the core focus so far. And do you tap into one of the global holding companies buying deal when it comes to mainstream media buying? Or are you literally doing it yourselves? We do it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess the sort of the three offerings, if you like, has been, you know, we've already done programmatic consultancy for a long time and we've also done the technology consulting and the technology implementation and the running of the technology behind the MarTech and the ad tech services. And so the the third component that's been behind the launch is the actual physical saying to the market, we actually now can buy um, either in, from our side or, or what we ultimately want to do is for the client to own the data and do it in-house for them. And I want to sort of move to um, diversity here, big topic in the industry at the moment, certainly yeah. came up a lot at um, Mumbrella 360 last week. Uh, there was an ad news cover that I think the monkeys created, uh, I think it might have been the last edition, um, and a LinkedIn member, the, qu- the question on, on the cover was how uh, how's Adland responding to the consultancies or yeah. something thereabouts. And a LinkedIn member responded and said, I guess not with diversity. And the, the cover was a lot of white women and men. Is this an issue that, that you guys face at Accenture or do you think that's m- more of a representation of Adland in general? Uh, I, I mean, it, I think from a diverse – I would say I w- I've never worked with a more diverse group of people. Um, uh, from a gender perspective, I know that uh, the monkeys in particular have – more females than they do males, which is great. Um, and it's something that the industry in general is is very conscious of. I'd say that uh, what we're all trying to focus on is from sort of far more around the developer's side of things. So when you hire a Salesforce developer or a Hybris developer from SAP, um, typically you're having to find a male developer, right, because that's how they've been trained. And so we're we're trying to reverse that as an industry. But from the creative strategy um and front end um i don't see an issue and how about ethnicity oh like the most diverse uh i don't think there's a single country and this is not only within accenture but within accenture interactive that we don't have uh working with us and um it's a wonderful wonderful place to work from an ethnicity point of view and also to answer that question that, that was on the cover of the magazine, how do you think Adland is responding to the consultancies? I know, you know, when Deloitte, you know, announced their sort of move in the play and PwC bought their stake in Thinkabell, there was sort of a lot of question of, of how this is going to play out. How do you think Adland's responding to it? Uh, well, the good news is they're acknowledging our strategy. So that um, that's great. I, I think the uh, where we're heading as a business is, you know, we're sort of focused on that whole brand promise and customer experience, right? And so you can, when I explain that, you sort of understand why we acquired the monkeys and why also they want to be a part of us. And it's that differentiated model that we're seeing that talent wants to to come and join is because we can actually now offer an end-to-end service to a client and it's not just, you know, through a creative agency or through a product and service design business like Fjord. It's actually truly I can see a business outcome happen at the end of the project that we deliver. So should the holding companies be scared of you? Uh, I don't know. Like, what, like, I think we're just focused on our strategy, right? That's that's the simple answer. Come on, you must have a view whether they should be or not. I, I, should they be nervous? Surely if you're doing your job right, they should be. I think uh, what we've seen is the disru- there's a huge amount of disruption in the industry, right? And if we see clients demanding for our services like 
hey, we don't think this is this industry has been very transparent and I don't see value in the growth of what I can see, which is now that 73% in programmatic media buying, then we sort of look at that and go, is that is that part of the end-to-end customer experience? Is that going to add value? That's why we're here. And um, maybe last question for you, what's next? Uh, I Like we sort of tapped into it a little bit. Um, the blockchain is a huge area of interest. Uh, I think you saw... It was about a month ago, the, the founder of Alibaba, um, his name will lose me for a second. Jack Ma? Yes, Jack Ma. So Jack sort of said, I'm not sure about um, cryptocurrency, but what I am sure about is blockchain. And I, I tend to agree with him. It's just, it's um, the, the fact that it can answer the transparency issue is just, is incredible. So thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Abigail. Thanks, Tim. And that's all for this week. Thanks again to Michael for joining us and we'll be back to do it all again next week. See ya.